Hi, this is Scotty Johnson, and you're watching Coffee Talk. Are you listening to it or watching it? They're both. Okay, great. <laughs> Welcome. Hello and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian, and we have another episode of Coffee Talk for you. We've got guitar professor Scotty Johnson with us this week. Scotty is an incredible guitarist who's toured the world and played with all kinds of folks, from shred gods like Paul Gilbert and Dick Dale to the Boston Philharmonic. He's also an extensive pit guitarist and has over 50 musical theater credits. Professor Johnson also won the grand prize in the International D'Addario Rock Contest, and his educational video, Accelerate Your Rock Guitar Playing, has been published by Berkeley Press and Hal Leonard. Scotty digs deep into the skills a pit musician must master for success, and he shares his optimism for the music business post-pandemic. As always, a lot of this content will also be available on YouTube, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our interview with Scotty Johnson. Welcome to all of you. I'm Kim Perlack, I'm the chair of the guitar department, and this is another Coffee Talk, and today, as usual, we have Cheryl Bailey with us, assistant chair. Hello, everybody. And Ian Steed, our senior coordinator. Hey, all. And our special guest is Professor Scotty Johnson. Hey, Scotty. Hi. Hi. How are you? So, Scotty, yeah, I like you've got your WGBX kind of voice going with the coffee. This is great. Like, uh, you know, kind of like public radio thing going. Just, that was some voiceover work happening. Very nice. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah. yeah, I think like calming and informative. I could use a little of that right now. I right? Mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we all could use a little of that right now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, hey, true. Scotty, what do you have? What are you drinking this morning in terms of coffee? What do you got? Um, I happen to be the proud owner of a uh, Nespresso machine, Virtuo, much like the one in the office, which I'm glad you brought that up because I'm having trouble finding the coffee pods in the office. Is there a hiding place or have we run out? Yes. Um, do you want I to put some a, of your best people on this so we can get to the bottom of it? Or Well, if you don't tell anyone, ha, ha, ha. Um, I have a special stash and you are welcome to it. And okay. um, so Ben knows okay. where it is. Okay, I'll ben. ask Ben. Okay, he's there. And yeah. yeah, it's the blue ones too, which are the- Oh, the what, uh, yeah, what's that, Adazio, Adazio? I, I almost, I know most of them. Yeah, they. Um, you have to be careful with them because they're a little high octane. I had two one day, and uh, I came into a class on improvisation. I was like, "Okay, everybody, here we go. What do you want to play? Yeah. Who's playing? You sound great." You know, I I had to really. They're really tough. Do you? How many of those do you have? Can you handle a day? Um, I really just I do one caffeinated one in the morning. Mm -hmm. That isn't an option. I can't function without it. Mm -hmm. But then throughout the day. I, I, I switched to decaf. I have decaf pods that I do throughout the day um, mm. just because I, I'll have trouble sleeping if I drink all day, but I like the flavor of it all day. So I do one. The other danger about that machine is there's a barcode on that thing. It's pretty high tech. So they, they come in different sizes. There's the, you know, the, the, the espresso shot, traditional kind of thing. Then there's like the mug size, yeah. but then there's like the Largo, Grando, whatever it's called. And so it doesn't know what size cup you put in there. So I did that by mistake. My wife bought the large one. I put a regular one and I walked away from it. I came back, it was like a waterfall of 
frothy goodness going onto the floor and my dog is licking it up and, and he doesn't need caffeine. Uh, but so there, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of an art. You got to kind of, you got to be careful with the pods. That's true. It is an art. It's good though. It was definitely one of our good improvements in the office. I think. Yeah. It was like right before the break too. And we kind yeah. of didn't really think to enjoy it, but I'm enjoying it now. I, and I, <laughs> I was, I was telling Cheryl, I, I kind of like how quiet it is around the office these days because I can, you know, the machine's all to myself. It's kind of quiet. No line at the copy machine. It's been kind of kind of nice, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, that's maybe that's on me. That's maybe. Uh, well, that's right. Like, I think um, it's important for people to know that uh, we have opened the school. Right. So we're we're still we're having this conversation still in the pandemic where we're hybrid. And most of our mm -hmm. classes and lessons are remote on Zoom. And then there is there are a handful of special classes and lessons that are on campus. And Scotty, you've been going in. So mm -hmm. you have had kind of, and Cheryl is in right now. That's right. Um, Cheryl, unmute and tell them what, uh, what it's like yeah. over there. Yeah, well, it's it's mellow. And, and I, I'm in the office, my office here. Um, and I think this is going to be a really powerful experience for the for students here because it, it they're getting almost like a small music school experience mm -hmm. where they can really hang and bond and play music together. So, you know, I, I'll be curious moving forward. You know, when they come, we come back in the fall and it's busy. What they what their thoughts are on it? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And then at the same time because so many people are remote we're doing things like this like we've moved our coffee coffee hang to be on zoom and on a podcast and so we're still going to have all those things too so hopefully we'll keep the best of both modalities when we go back so um so scotty do like, you think we we could be hybrid in the next semester do you think i think so I September. think until until all the students really feel like they can come safely back I think we will be hybrid and then moving forward, you never know, maybe there are some instances where, where that could be an option. We'll just have to see how it goes. We're really just um, feeling it out. I mean, we're, no one's ever run a music school. No one's ever run Berkeley in a pandemic before. So yeah, I think yeah. we're all, we're all kind of working it out, you know? Um, so Scotty, one thing that might be on your mind as you walk in the halls these days that we always ask people is, what were your first days of Berkeley like when when you first came? What do you remember about that experience? Um, I remember expecting a lot more instructions. And okay, so uh, basically, Larry kind of walked me to my room, gave me the key, and said, "Have a nice." Day. I'll talk to you soon. You know, I was like, okay, but where's the briefing? What do I do? What what happens? Uh, what about D Dorian? Do I need to talk about that? What's going on? The modes? Or what what do I talk about? Um, but then it clicked. I'm like, you know, that's that's the way it should be. You know, um, they hired me because I'd done some things, and you know, just bring what you have to the party. We're not looking for a mold here. You're the number twenty seven to, to snap the mold. Bring what you bring to this place. Um, and I just was always honest. And and to be honest, too, I mean, now I remember because I had a kind of a rough teacher in college. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to mention his name, but he was a strict guy. This is University of Miami. I didn't go to Berkeley. Um, he was a tough cookie. 
And I thought, well, that's how you, that's how you be a college professor that you have to be that way. So I thought, well, I, I should, I better, I better do that. You know? So I was kind of like, you better practice. And I could see the, the students were looking at me like, what are you, what are you talking about? This is not, you're my little voice, my little whiny voice going, you better, you know, when I, I said, that's not working. I'm just going to be honest. And, you know, and I, will never bring negativity to music. Music is here for the opposite of that, to take us out of that stuff. The world is full of that stuff. I, I didn't want to bring it to music. Now, that being said, you can, you know, sometimes it's good to get your butt kicked every once in a while. And I think I benefited from that guy being strict at times because I was the cocky kid and college kid who wanted thought he was good. And, and he had, you know, he had other news for me. Um, and I think it helped me. But, but truthfully, I'm not that person. I'm not a negative person. And and maybe about some things, but not guitar, not music, not being a professional musician. The, the, the gift of, of playing music um, throughout your life is not something I want to attach. You you better do this. or No, man, you, you know, you should want to do this. You know, um, I want to do this. We all do. I think we all have that in common, you know. So that that's, I figured that out like in the first semester, you know, the, the, the fake strict guy wasn't no one was buying it anyway so i just i think you're either born that way you know what i mean you're strict or you're just kind of you know you just do what you're gonna do it's music you know um so that was my thing but i was expecting instructions like this is what we need to do and this is what you, you know this is how you do it this is the berkeley way um and the berkeley way is just bring what you have to the party and which uh i think i've done i think i've done over the years i'm always honest and I take my real world experiences into the room with me. Um, I put more emphasis on that than, you know, exercises and books and things like that. Cause you can get that anywhere. Um, and I also, I think a big part of my job is listening. Listen to the students, listen to them play. Listen, Cause you can't get that from a book. You can't get feedback based on what you're doing from a book. Uh, books are great, uh, but the book doesn't say, hey, you know, you're dragging or, or you know, try this or, sound good here but let's work on that that's that's an interactive thing that that happens with a live human being and i just listen to the students play and interact on based on what they're they're playing so that's great i have a question based on that because we know you as a player that is very diverse stylistically some people really know you for your rock playing you also play in shows and um you have a jazz background as well and you studied at Miami and I'm wondering when you were kind of forming your professional career and finding who you were on the guitar what about your education like really played a role in that and then what were some were there some departure points like did you study specific stylistic things in college and then go in a different direction as a player and in your performance career? Could you just talk about yeah, that? Yeah, 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 that's, that's good. Um, well, the thing about Miami was, you know, I think how, how many how many guitar faculty members are there? Is it 50 something or high 40s? Do you know? We are in you know. 50s here. Um, yeah. Okay. So I was, when I was studying, I was one of 40 students. Right. So there's a size difference. You know, I was, there was, there was one teacher, maybe uh, and he had an assistant and it was, play jazz or go home. Okay. And I was, you know, I listened to some stuff like that, but I was more the rock guy, you know, and um, I love George Benson and I love Larry Carlton. So moving towards that side of things, there was some of the non 
whatever you know you know what that is um but hardcore like opening up a real book i didn't know what a real book was you know mm -hmm. so and it wasn't like well i i i, I want to take the rock classes please thank you but there were no rock classes <laughs> you know right. um i'll take the rock teacher please no no you get this guy and uh uh so and that was a challenge um and i didn't always love it uh but some of it really did stick stick to me mm -hmm. stick i didn't I didn't let it go as soon as I left school. It stayed with me. And then I played a lot of in a lot of top 40 bands. I even did this while I was at college. So I was I was studying. There, there was a scene in Miami. This was in the 80s. It was pretty crazy. Um, but I was in a band, a top 40 band that played six nights a week. Wow. Yeah. Five sets a night playing cover tunes. And the, the music at the time was uh, you know, Whitney Houston, Madonna, 80s, 80s. And, and that was a, a pivotal part of my education because I was playing every single night with people, in front of people, and anything goes. And I got to say, I know I'm biased by, because I'm an 80s child, but the guitar tracks on a lot of those records are just killer. There was the funky clean stuff. There was a solo in every song. There was a guitar. And to make it longer for the live thing, double the guitar solo yes please yes please uh yeah let's make it longer i'll tell it's a double guitar solo okay let's do that mm -hmm. uh so it was a great time to be a guitar player it still is but that you know the, that music was just is so i'm working stuff out gear sound staying focused um i missed a few early classes because of it though uh, to be honest that that 9 a.m theory class took a hit okay <laughs> right. um, but uh, that was really um, pivotal for me, and and, and it's because I needed that. I need I needed that. I needed to play with people over a long period of time in a very rehearsed environment to get better. Um, mm -hmm. uh, maybe not everyone did, but I I needed it. I needed to play as much as possible, mm -hmm. and uh, and it was you know the friends you make along the way. You, you know, it's all that stuff. It's all great too. Um, okay, so let's continue. So that was Miami. Um, cause I, I tell this story a lot where sometimes you have to be patient. So I'm, I'm out of, I'm in California now in my mid twenties and there's like a blues explosion that's happening kind of in the San Francisco area at the time. And right around the time I hit 28 years old, I remember it well, I, that was the first time I felt like, you know, I think I ha I might have my thing here. I don't, you can call it what it is, but I think I found my thing. Your voice, whatever, what you, your strength, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I like telling that story because 28 to a college kid is pretty darn old. So like if you have impatient college students, you just go, I can't get this. Go, hey man, I was 28 before I really kind of, kind of just kind of feel comfortable in my own skin with a guitar on. I wasn't, you know, I was kind of playing some stuff. And what happened is, um, a record came out in 1988 called Talk to Your Daughter, Daughter by Robin Ford. And that was a kind of a blues-based record with some, some fancier guitar playing. And that was something that had eluded me. I hadn't, didn't get into that in college or high school. And so I'm out, I'm out in the real world now, and I'm hearing this record go, this is just the bomb. This is so good. Um, and I started emulating that. It really hit me hard. And I, I started emulating the sound, kind of very heavily influenced. Um, and it turns out I was living in the area where Robin Ford lived and his brothers also played in the area. And I had a connection uh, with Robin's brothers. And um, 
I auditioned for the band and they heard me trying to sound like Robin and they liked it because that's what they grew up playing together and they were looking for that type of thing. Now, I'm going to time out here. I didn't sound like Robin Ford. I'm not comparing myself to that play, but I was trying and I was, you know, I was, that was kind of what I, I this is what I wanted to play. And um, I ended up getting in that band and we did some fantastic things. It was great. It was the first time. So it wasn't a coincidence. Around the same time, I felt like I found my thing. I started getting better gigs. I started touring. I got signed to another blues label in that Bay Area by uh, Mike Varney, who's a kind of a shred. Uh, he also had a, um, a heavy blues label at the time. So he, put, he assembled a band with me in it and we put out records. So I was doing that simultaneously while I'm playing with the Ford Blues Band and touring all over Europe and uh, traveling, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the van tour, you know, of Europe and, and just uh, low budget, but uh, loving every waking moment of it. I didn't want to sleep. It was just, a, you know, at that age, I was just thrilled to be doing it. So, um, and that's kind of where I stuck. I, I'm still there now, you know, in terms of like, you say, what's your thing? I think it's that thing. It's that, and I call it like a West Coast blues type of thing. It's, it's blues, but it's not straight, straight old school. It's, it's some, some other things happening in there as well. Um, and back to diversity, the theater work, when you do, when you sign up for a theater gig, you're lucky enough to be asked to do that. Um, everything is on the table. Everything, every possible, you're a soundtrack to a story. Any possible, anything with frets on it, you need to own to, to do these mm -hmm. gigs. Um, that includes mandolin, ukulele, banjo. I've played dulcimers. I've played a thumb piano. I mean, uh, electric sitar. So uh, diversity is necessity in that field because they're not going to rewrite the orchestration because you're not comfortable with the jazz thing. You know, it doesn't right. work that way. You know? And so, uh, and that's something I enjoy. I enjoy doing that. You know, I say, um, I can fake anything for eight measures. That's kind of my little motto. You know, I can, um, I know what, but I know what my thing is, you know, but when it, when it comes time for it, but that's part of the gig is, is being able to cop that. Same with the Boston Pops. Um, it could be a very jazzy guitar solo thing. Um, uh, it could be a rock thing with whammy bar and I've played mandolin over there at symphony hall. Um, it's a, uh, it's a necessity. It's, it's just like, this is what you need to do if you want this gig. And there's quite a bit so of reading. talk about motivation to do it. Right. Talk about right. motivation to cultivate that. Right. So, yeah. And, and there's quite a bit of reading that goes into that as well. Can you talk yes. about how you grew in that? I mean, I'm sure that was part of your undergrad education as well, but maybe not in the same kind of way. That you do um, yeah, it was. We had guitar ensembles where it was six guitar players and we're all reading these charts arranged. We used to have those. I think one of those file cabinets in the office has a bunch of those, right? And Tom Shimshack used to arrange a lot of those. Are they still there? Are they still there in that office? They are still there. Uh, okay, okay. You have them all to yourself, really. On one do we have a guitar ensemble? Do we have a guitar ensemble that does those things? I know I don't teach one, but or do they oh. exist? Does Jane have one or do, do we do those anymore? Or? Mark has one and uh, oh, Mark great. has one. Yeah. Yeah. We and, still uh, do some of it. Bebop guitars. Bebop guitars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how I learned to read and I could not read it when I got to college and I just, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was humbling and frustrating. Yeah. Um, but over the course of four years, I kind of, I got better and better. Then after I got out of college, 
the gigs that I was doing didn't require any reading. So I fell off the wagon, so to speak. And I didn't, and it got rusty, didn't read at all. And then um, after I moved here, mm-hmm. I did a show in Vegas for a year. I have kind of a lost year in Vegas. Maybe we can talk about that some other time. I'm not sure if I want to get into that, but um, I did a show in Vegas. That's the first theater thing I did. And I had a great time. It was wonderful. Um, but when I moved out here and I was teaching here, I got called out of the blue to do a theater thing last minute up in Beverly at the North Shore Music Theater, where I still work. And uh, after I did that show, the contractor um, told me, he goes, you know, yeah, well, you sounded good. Um, um, you know, there aren't a lot of rock guys that can read around here. And I thought that was, I hadn't been out here for a long, couple of years. And that really surprised me. And I thought, well, about everyone here, but it's, but I think it goes to like, not everybody wants to do a theater gig. You know, that's what it is. You know, it's like, it's some people the thought of doing eight shows a week. The same show is like suicide, right? Um, it isn't for me. Uh, but I thought, well, really? And it kind of gave me a glimmer. I'm like, wow, you know, and it pays how much? Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to brush up on my reading. That's so, so I had, I had motivation in the form of, you know, monetary, uh, you know, uh, making a living kind of thing. And I, so I, as an adult, I, yeah, I got my reading back together and you don't forget how to read. You just get rusty, you know, right. same way about learning how to read. You can't, you can't work on it six hours on Sunday and then take two months off and go, yeah, I, I read for six hours two months ago. You got to read a little bit. You got to do it every day though. You got to read. Don't practice reading, just read something. I don't know how you practice reading. You're either reading or you're not read something every day. If you can't read it well, slow it down. You know, I, you know, it's like, it's not to be practiced. It's just, it's a practice of reading often. You know what I mean? Um, so that, that was motivation. Um, and the biggest thing I talk about with students when it comes to reading is that in, in the world that I live in, over at the pops and, and the theater stuff, no one cares how you read. No one cares how well you read or how accurately you read, but they know if what you're playing feels good. Mm-hmm. That's your job is to take this ink and turn it into a human being, mm-hmm. which is not, instinctive you see this thing it's so literal these dots on the page and this is and i you know i'm sure we've all seen it i've seen students with with nice vibratos and good fields as soon as they start reading they turn into robots to try to read accurately because this is what it says that 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 you know but you wouldn't you wouldn't want to hear that would you i mean play it like you wrote it you know you have to take this chart and a good conductor will give you that instruction and say don't he'll never say Hey, just read that accurately. Read it perfectly. They said, "Here's the chart. Just make it sound good, please. You know, make me look good when when you play this ink that has no life. You you don't write vibrato in, into a chart. You don't write slides and all the articulations that guitar has. It's it's limitless. It's why you know um, we all know that if you wrote them all in, it would look like a, a Chinese menu or something. It would be very hard to read." It's on you to bring that to the table. So if you can read something and it feels good, it's got a pocket, maybe you add a something, you add something here and there, it wasn't written in. If you go out of bonds, they'll, they'll, they'll bring it in. They'll say, yeah, just play what was written. You know, it's not a big deal. But if you sit there and just read it perfectly and all, you know, your, all your musicality goes out the window, that's a little to no value in the field. Maybe in a practice room, that's cool, but not out there. You know, that's not what they need from you, you know? That's so important. I, I've just had this conversation with my class um, yesterday and someone had, we were playing something that the students wrote and then they were reading someone else's work in the ensemble class. And we had that instance, there was a really great blues player in there and he read this and um, the comment was, well, 
could you hear that that has a blues influence? And he said, yeah. I said, well, why don't you just play it? Like if I said, hey, that's a blues, just play it. And he played it and it was stunning. It was dead on, you know? Mm -hmm. And there were, and what was really interesting, of course, is when you animate something, when you bring it to life, it solves a lot of technical problems in a way because you're more fluid and you're breathing. And, and I think that's such an important aspect of reading that you really are yeah. interpreting, you're animating as you're doing it. And so is there a way, if people haven't ex experienced that, how do you advise them when they're approaching something? Do you say like, take a second and think about where this comes from, look at the title, think about what style it is. How do you, like if I put a book in front of you for a show, what would your eyes and mind do with it before you started to play the first note that would allow you to animate it? Okay, well, I would my my literal answer to that question is I would scan it, the whole thing, immediately to see if there's anything that looks really gnarly. Mm -hmm. Okay, like what where, where are the trap doors in this thing? Where are the scary little measures that have? So, and I'm pretty good at that. Okay, I think that's cool. That's cool. Ooh, what is that? And then my next my next question is like, what position am I going to play this? And this is getting very technical, but that's what no, I'm thinking Please, because yeah. you know a silly little blues lick can be a nightmare if you're reading it in this weird position because that's where you can read but it's it wasn't meant to be played here it was meant to be played here you know so um what where where do i need to play this in order to to, to successfully pull this off and not get embarrassed on the first rehearsal you know um by the way there's always a rehearsal i mean it's not like okay you show up and you do it there's a rehearsal and there's a reason for rehearsals we're figuring it out everyone is you know um but uh i'm i'm more that that's maybe a layer that I really don't get to like who wrote this and where did it come from? I'm, I mean, something goes in front of my, my eyes. I'm that I'm scanning it for the, tr the hot spots and um, what position am I going to read this in? What kind of tone, uh, that type of thing. Um, and I try to bring it to life and I'm always, right. my main emphasis always is time feel when I play. Mm -hmm. That's my, that's number one, fancy notes lower on the totem pole. Whatever you play could be simple or fancy. The time feel for me is paramount. So I, I never want to forget I'm going to read this thing with a good time feel and maybe bring the experiences that I've had, you know, and I've played other styles. So if it says jazz, you know, it'll say arch top. So you got your, you got your jazz box. So that's going to put you in a different mode. And they're very specific. They, they might say this is, needs to be played with a telly. Strat won't cut it. They want a telly for this. You bring a telly to the gig and then you got to play it. You got to read it on a telly. That's why I have a lot of instruments because I have to. I have to buy these things because they, they request them, you know. Uh, and then it turns into obsession. I'll, I'll admit to that. But uh, that's that's part that's part of it, I guess. I'm kind of <laughs> – it's not my fault. None of this is my fault. I had to – they said I had to buy a ukulele. Um, but that's pretty much it for me. But that, I mean, I've done enough of these shows where I can kind of feel this is a jazz. And then also too, when this is hard to to imitate in a classroom, because I, you know, my theater lab, I, we're all just playing guitar. But when you're playing a chart with a, a theater orchestra, you've got a drummer who's good. You've got a bass player who's good. They're playing with you. Mm -hmm. So there's there's that, which makes puts everything in perspective, you know. And that's hard to do in a classroom. We're just all reading the guitar part, you know. It was just played by one guy, and now we're all playing it. And it's, you know, and I, I mentioned that to them too. It's it's the way it goes. Um, which is brings up another point too and people talk about you know how do you follow the conductor and what what's all with you know because everyone's different and this guy goes like this and this guy. my answer is if there's a drummer playing you play to the drums just like you're in high school 
you don't follow the conductor and leave the drummer somewhere else. The band sounds like crap at that point. You can't do that. So the problem with that is though, sometimes you have to play and there's no drummer and then you actually have to follow the conductor and that's, but that's rare. So my, right. you know, I watch the conductor always, you have to, but musically you play with the drums. That's what you do. That's what you do in, in music, right? You play to the drums. Right. You don't go, well, conductor's saying this, I don't care what you're doing. I'm following the conductor. Now you're in a different times. And it sounds like a high school band or uh, and a bad one, you know? So, um, you have to kind of stay focused and, and that's a musical thing. That's a core music thing. Play with each other. You know, yeah, we're all supposed to follow the conductor, but if you're playing with the drums, let the drummer worry about the cue. That's another way kind of around that, you know, uh, in that situation. This is so great because what you're saying is there's so much more than what's on the page, right? Like you're exactly. looking for clues all the time, you know, and you're bringing all of your skills to bear. So if someone says, we absolutely have to have a telly for this. In your mind, you know what that means sonically. Yeah, you probably have a good. It's going to be played that. a certain way, right? Yeah, like the a feel because it's the, a telly. Exactly, yeah. it, you kind of have that sense. If they say arch top jazz, you're already thinking like, okay, I think that means this. If yep. if you if you don't know that yet because you're young, you're thinking of what might that mean, and that that's a good thing to start investigating what yeah what does that mean what styles of music use that type of guitar and that type of sound and what kind of feel do they have and then the other part is the ensemble skills if you see that a drummer is in that book then you know you have to lock in with that drummer and be able mm -hmm. to do that in the styles that are implied by the choice of instrument and by the way the thing looks when you scan it so um if this isn't something in your experience and you want to play that you have to start to think about building those ensemble skills and those stylistic skills so that you pick up on the inferences. Is that? Yeah, yeah, you know? correct. Um, and then, you know, if you have a, a strong base, a diverse base of, of things that you've listened to. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what that means, yeah, I know what it means for me. It means guys like um, uh, Joe Pass, mm -hmm. Pat Martino. Mm -hmm. Those are the guys that that hit me hard, you know, mm -hmm. some of them. So I go I go to that place. I go, what would, what would they kind of feel? What would that sound be like? I know I, I've listened to those records many thousands of times so i know how to get that but that's that's research i guess you would call that do your homework and you know in these charts you see you see references that are kind of you got to know what they mean one of the ones that com still comes up is um a la andy summers have huh. you ever andy summers was a guitar player in police, police the band police yeah. and here's what that means straight out use a lot of chorus put your chorus on and put it up oh. they want a very chorusy sound that's what andy summers was famous for you know, uh, another name I see on charts a lot is Freddie Green. Yep. Many, many yep. times. Just play two, play your guide tones, short little stabbing. It's all time feel, almost like you're playing a banjo. Similar. Not these big, lush chord melody things with the same sound. It's he didn't even have an amp, right? You only heard him when the band died down. He was in there, tick, 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 tick. And orchestrators love that. You know, they that, that comes up a lot. They like that because you kind of, you're almost a percussion instrument at that point. You're not, there's so many people playing pitches that the chord is covered. The F sharp minor seven, five, five is somebody's got all those notes. You just need, you know, you could almost not play a chord and they go, Hey, yeah, you, you sounded good. Yeah. I didn't hear anything bad over there. Yeah, good. If your time feels good, we're back to time feel again. Right. Uh, believe me, that sells a lot of things, you know, a good feel, a good time feel, um, in, in, in that world. Um, I wouldn't 
recommend that. Play the chords if you see that. But it's the, the percussion is is at the top of that totem pole for that for that style. Freddie Green. Um, see what other references do I get? I've seen you know, yes. a la Eddie Van Halen that type of thing. Anything could happen. It's interesting when you're looking at. Or, you know, I'll, I'll talk to students about this too. It depends on who wrote the chart, you know, how much they know about guitar. And if they're not, whether they write even, now most of those shows, they're already worked out by then, but, you know, going into a session or a rehearsal, if they write in the correct register. So you kind of have to be, have that flexibility to say, either play it where you think they want it and then ask was that where you wanted it but also just that thing of you know how much they know about guitar they go oh yeah jazz is freddie green or you know this kind of thing it's kind of interesting trying to interpret that to get it because you know what does the leader want or what does the writer want yeah and that's that, that that's you know i talk about that a lot because uh um very few guitar players grow up to be orchestrators they're almost all piano players. There's, a, and the good ones can play some guitar, and they'll give you something that's pretty good. I got to work with Alex Lacamoire. You know, he's a, he's an alum, orchestrator for Hamilton. I did a show that wasn't quite as successful, uh, that that did his tryouts in Boston. I think it was 2006, called High Fidelity. But he was the orchestrator on that, and he was the he's a very detailed writer for guitar. Some 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 guys will give you some broad strokes and say just here go with this. But Alex was like, and he's got this brilliant mind and his musical brain, and he would specific write specific things. And if I didn't play them, he would kind of, Scotty, um, just the ink is, that's the saying too, the ink is good. That's a little saying, it's a way of being nice about it. Scotty, yeah, that, the ink is good on that. Let's go ahead and play the, play the ink. But lots of times you, you have things that are not written by guitar players, and sometimes they're not even possible. You got to out of range. You know, maybe they, they they hit it, they clicked a, a thing in finale and dropped it down a half step. Now you got an E flat, low E flat. You can't play that. So a couple ways of handling that. And now, now it's like political now. You could raise your hand in the rehearsal and go, excuse me, you put an E flat in there. I can't play an E flat. Or you just don't say anything and just don't play the E flat. And we get the, the chart goes by and everyone's happy. And then, okay, let's move on. You know, there's a lot of people involved, a lot of moving parts with these orchestras, you know. So you want to, you know, and no one wants to be listening in on a discussion about the low E flat on the guitar player's part, you know. Um, just don't play the E flat or put it up an octave. It's your chair. You're sitting in the guitar chair. They want that from you. They want that from you. Um, and here's the other thing, too. This is something that I, I can't, I, I realized somewhat recently working with these orchestrators they're up against the gun a lot of time you do these break-in shows that are going to go to new york they're writing the charts the night before you rehearse them the next day um and and they just like us they have to make decisions the, the guy sitting there i got to give this guitar player something to play on this tune and this is a thought process because i've i've spoken to them um should we have them do this or well, we could do this would also sound good Maybe we could just do this. You know, I got I got a deadline. I got to give him something. Here, do play this. But what that means to me is that okay, this part could have went a couple different ways. He had to decide on something. Maybe it wasn't etched in stone. So that gives me some wiggle room. So maybe I'll, um, I'm, if I change it here and there, using my instincts, you can get in trouble for this, depending on the, the orchestrator. Um, you can, you can, you can come up with a pretty good part. 
You know, um, there's some wiggle room there because they're making decisions just like we are. We, we see it when it's in ink at the last stage, but there's, uh, there's room to, to interpret. And if you can do it well, back to the time feel again, uh, you probably get away with it. But you got to feel that out. Like I said, Alex was not, he was like, this is your part. You play it correctly or you don't. You nail it or you don't. You know, that's kind of how it was. And luckily, he writes good things. He's very, very, very good, you know. So, and he, he's dangerous enough on guitar to, to give you some trouble, you know. It's like, there was one chord he wrote and it was like, you can't, I don't know, this isn't right. He goes, well, yeah, you can. You got to go up to the 12th fret and then play the open B string. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. You're right. Like, oh, you're right. It's a beautiful chord, yeah, you know. It's like, okay, note to self, don't, don't question his chords anymore, you know. Uh, but uh, it's interpretation interpreting interpreting these these this ink blots on a page um and no one cares how well you read <laughs> you know that's a, it's not a reading test it's like how do you sound when you play it that's great you know yeah you know. i think that's important too because um this has come up in so many instances that there's how good you sound and then there's also what the composer or the conductor needs you to do or the or the leader yeah of the band, or if you're the leader, how are you communicating what you need? Or if you're the composer, how do you communicate what you need? So um, it's that that idea that there's a fluidity there and it's a spectrum that some people need and want to hear something really specific and other people need you to come in and bring what you do and they're more loose. And at different yeah. times when you're in that position, you may need or want either thing and then you have to be able to effectively communicate that so yeah it sounds like flexibility yeah i mean and it also sounds like probably when you're learning it there's some trial and error there and you're like well okay i know about this person now you know i know what he wants or i know what she wants um, or yeah. if you're the leader it also may be the reverse like i thought what i wrote was clear and clearly it was not clear right yeah. so yeah yeah. yeah, that's really um, interesting. But, I'm wondering, um, you know, when Larry gave you that key and sent you to the room. Oh, we're going back um, there? Okay. One of All the right. things that's interesting, like coming to this point, like where you've talked so much about all the things that you've done that were a continuation or a departure of the way you learned. In some ways, when you came to Berkeley, you are now creating a curriculum based on your life that didn't exist for you when you were in college. So how did that play in? How does your experience play into that? And how do you do that? Because um, you really had to build this curriculum for a lot of people who wanted to study rock saying like, okay, I'm a rock player and I have all this stylistic diversity, but it's not like you could say, oh, where's the rock curriculum? You had to kind of come up with it on your own. And I'm wondering how you went about that from your experience. Well, just from from you know artists that I emulated and admired and loved, and it's a standard list. I think it's probably won't be too unique. You know, uh, the Van Halens and the Jeff Becks and the Hendrix and and some of the other players. Like, what would they do? How did they get their sound? Um, what style? What kind of stink did they put on their notes? Their theory that made it sound great and not like theory, not like a scale. What what was going on there? To bring it to life is what they did. Whether where, where they were coming from, I I don't know, but I know what they achieved musically, and that's a it's a heck of a target. Um, what can we What can we do? What can I do to get these people closer to that? 
and myself. I'm always striving for that. And I, I you know, maybe it's why I like the theater too. I, I, there's, I get a certain kind of gratification from transcribing. And you could say, well, that's not original at all because you're, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. But I, I get a lot of pleasure from it when I just, I figure, I hear something that I like and then I, I'm able to play it and I nail it sometimes. That's a great feeling. You know, it's fun to have that freedom. Like, oh, I'm going to play whatever I want and creativity and it's fantastic. Um, but there's, I get a special itch scratched when I just, I kind of nail it, you know, and I, I figure something out. And yes, I'm, you know, I'm sounding like this guy, I guess, you know, but makes me happy. I know I like that. That's a good thing. I like this thing. I like to play it. Whether you can build a career on that, I don't know. You might probably have to change things up. Um, but I think it's also why I don't have an issue with doing eight shows a week. I, you know, it's a challenge. The theater stuff, it's not easy. You don't just walk in and kind of like look around the room while you're playing these. It's, it's like, you know, coffee and, you know, and there's a lot of goofing off, but not when we're playing. The hang is great. You know, the, the guys, I love these guys that I work with. Um, there's a lot of hanging before and after. Uh, but during, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm a guitar player trying to read. I, I turn into that guy, you know, like, you know, I got to make sure this is good. You know, it's so it's it, it's intense and it demands a lot of respect. If you you let your guard down, you could have an unpleasant moment and in a heartbeat. Turn the page. Something goes wrong. You pick up the wrong instrument. You pick up the ukulele instead of a, you know, banjo. You That's not pleasant. It's not a good thing, you know. So it, it's 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 I guess it's repetitive by definition but um it's about okay am i gonna am i gonna make it out alive tonight sit down how's this gonna go tonight you never know that you never know that you know things go wrong on stage things go wrong here people make mistakes it happens you know conductors you know do things you know um it's live theater it's why people are drawn to it i think because that's what they're witnessing it's not pre-taped it's why the theater fills up that's why it's it's why people go um it's like what's going to happen <laughs> you know so i enjoy that and i embrace that and, I, and there is a certain comfort in like okay i know how the show goes let's i just got to execute it well tonight and and go home and uh and do it all again tomorrow you know it, it's a certain kind of discipline i think um to do that that makes a lot of sense um and uh you know now that we're kind of making these connections between teaching and playing um Ian, there's there's something that's generally on your mind when when we get to this point, you know. Yeah, so there's a question that uh, we ask everybody um, on this show, and that's uh, what's as somebody who's obviously been a student and now a teacher, been on sort of both sides of the uh, the teaching booth. Um, what's something that you get a lot of students coming in or asking in there's really something else that you're like, you know, what you really should be thinking about is this, like, what's a question that students might not think to ask that they should be thinking about? Hmm. How do I make this work for me? How do I make this work for me? How do I wear this thing that you're showing me and maybe put a spin on it? Maybe not, you know, how do I, how do I make this work for me? Um, and that, that, that is ultimately the path that's going to lead to your own voice, you know? Um, so that's it. I mean, that's a good question. That's a, that's the most simple answer I can come up with is um, this will pass. We need to kind of, you need to, and you also need to, the patience again comes in a lot. You know, I, I, students tend to be impatient like I was, um, but I just kept playing. I just kept playing and kept playing. And then 
28 came around and I started to get some traction. I could have, I could have bailed at 25 or 24 and said, this isn't happening fast enough. I quit. I didn't. Um, it's, it's perseverance and patience. And also there's no shortcuts. There's other thing. It's like, there's, there's no shortcuts. You have to put the time in. There's no shortcut to reading. There's no shortcut to learning how to improvise. There is time in results out. Let's deal with it. And you know what? Nothing's easy. Nothing's, nothing's, I don't, nothing's really easy in the world. Just put that aside. I go, this should be easy. So I can, music should be easy. It's not always easy. You got to work at it, you know, just expect that, embrace it. I mean, of all, of all the crappy things that can happen in your day, struggling with a guitar thing is, is really a pretty good day. That's a, that's a gift. That's a privilege to be struggling on guitar all day. Wow. What a, that's a great day. I'm going to go out there. there. There's crap going on. That's, that's terrible. But it ain't this. It ain't this. You're working on guitar inside, you know, the heat's on, whatever you're, you're, you're comfortable. That's a good day. That's a privilege. Not some people would want to be doing that and they can't for whatever reason they decide not to, they can't because of this, this, this. It's easy to come up with reasons why not to do stuff. Right. Um, but that's a privilege to, to be able to do that. Um, so, but that comes with patience and caffeine, which is like, kind of the theme of this chat here, isn't it? I mean, coffee helps with this stuff. Hello. Yeah, I know. I know it's, a, um, but this, it's, it's about being patient, you know, and it might go one in one ear and out the other. I don't know, but it's, I just, it's something that I believe and just perseverance, you know, um, you can't get results overnight. You know, you can have lucky breaks, you know, and, and things like that, that really change your trajectory based on your reputation. And I've had a, I've had a few of those, several actually, that was, was, did not see coming, came out of the blue and took me into a whole nother zip code and a tax bracket, all that stuff. And it wasn't in my on my list of things to do today. I got a call or I got an email. I was like, what? Yes, I'll do that. You know? Um, and that comes from being around a lot and, and having a reputation where maybe someone will recommend you for something. That's, and that's a big part of, moving a career forward because you, you know, any kind of cool career thing that can happen, it's happening because another human being said yay or nay to you, either in front of you or not in front of you said, yeah, I recommend this guy. You're looking for a dude, call this guy, call this girl, whatever it is, or they don't do that. And you'll what was never one know. of those calls? Um, the first well, I got the first one was to go out to Vegas. Uh, an old, an old uh, college friend of mine saw me in a magazine, and it was my contact info. And he called me up out of the blue. He says, "I'm I'm the new music director for the show in Vegas. We're going to run for a year. Um, do you want to be the guitar player?" He didn't ask me if I wanted to, you know, try out. Or he said, "Do you want to move to Vegas?" And at the time, it was '97. The blue scene was kind of dwindling down in the Bay Area. So I just went and did it. And that was a great year. It really was a fun year. It was a really fun show. Again, playing every night with great people. Um, it was a fun show. It was a New York style show. It wasn't a typical Vegas show. So that was cool. That was one big thing. The other is I just got a, I got a phone call out of the blue from this guy, Paul Gilbert, um, because I knew his drummer. And this, is, this was literally the call. He said, Scotty, do you want to come to Japan with me and do a live record? It was either a yes or no answer. It wasn't like, wait, are you available? It was like, do you want to do this? It was like, is this Paul? I, you know, I don't know Paul. Why is he calling me? I did a record with a drummer, uh, that his drummer. And, and he said, I want to take another guitar player with me. Do you know anybody? And he said, yeah, check this guy out. Call this guy. 
Mm. That's how I got that gig. And I think that the gig, the, the tour, I did, I did a tour with, with Paul in Japan. We did a live record. Um, I think that got me hired here. Because that's when I called. After I did that, I thought, you know, the folks over at Berkeley might be interested in that. And I, I, I checked in with the office. And uh, Rick called me right back and said, uh, yeah, you know, we have this guitar sessions thing. You want to give it a whirl? And I said, sure. And that was uh, 21 years ago. So I turned that three weeks on the road to 20 years here, 21 years, whatever it is here at Berkeley, you know, and it's also, and I was always thinking that way. This is great. This is awesome. But this is going to end in like six days. What, what can I do with this career wise, you know, beyond showing up and doing what you need to do. Where can I go with this? Hmm. Wonder if Berkeley would be interested in the fact that I played with this guy. Mm, that's and great. I think they were, you know, so. Um, <laughs> um, when you thought about quitting when you were 25, what made you stay? Um, well, there's always those little, you have those days. You, you always have those days where it's just not going well. And there's nothing in your future. You don't see anything concrete. There's just nothing that you're looking at your calendar and there's nothing. You know, how is this a life? What am I going to do? You know, um, but you just, I, I, knew, I didn't know anything else. You know, people ask me, when did you decide to go into music? You know, and I don't remember ever doing that. This is probably a common story, but I didn't, you know, I never sat there and go, let's see, I could be a chef, engineer, or a guitar player. You know, a guitar playing thing is pretty fun. Let's, let's do that. Let's try that. Now, I just started playing when I was 10 and I never stopped. I don't remember want, deciding to go to music school either. I just ended up there. I don't, I really don't remember. Maybe someone forced me. I don't know how, but I just started playing and I never stopped. So I, I wasn't gonna stop at 25 either. It was some rough times. Um, but that call got me into Vegas. You know, when I was on those rough times, that call out of the blue got me some really steady money over in Vegas. It was like, nice bread. You know, it was like, oh, okay, I'm ready. I'm gonna do this. And that just, and that changed my, it got me out of California. And then I decided to go back to the East Coast. And then uh, I heard from Paul. So that, that turned into that, you know? Um, it's it's kind of fun looking back on stuff because it's crystal clear. You know, the future is always uncertain, right? And it's, you know, racked with insecurity. What's going to happen? What if this happens? This could happen. And there's, you know, you can draw lines all over the place. But it's kind of, and as I get older, you know, I'm going to be 56 in about a week. Um, I've really come to enjoy looking backwards and go, you know, that was, I was really lucky to be able to do that with those people. That was really cool. And that, and that, and that, you know, I got this wonderful list of these incredible people mm -hmm. and you go, that happened and then this happened. I can trace my whole career back to a letter that I got in 1988 that someone wrote to me. I was in a top 40 band in Miami and then I was relocated to California, didn't know anybody. And I just got a letter from the singer in the band that I used to play with and said, you know, there's an agent uh, over there and maybe, you, you know, give her a call. And she books top 40 bands. And so I called it and I got into a top 40 band and then I can trace my every single step to where I'm sitting today from that letter that she didn't have to write. She was just nice and said, you know, there's an agent booking bands. Don't you give her a call? Mm. Um, I wish I still had that letter actually. And I've spoken, I've, we found each other on Facebook not that long ago. And I told her that story. She's like, I don't remember writing that letter. And said, oh, <laughs> you did, you did. And thank you. Um, That's so. amazing. It's really true that when you're on, when you're farther down the road, you can look back and see the thread and you can see these moments that you realize were pit like pivotal, pivotal moments 
when you're in it and you're young, you cannot see that. Not, not even a little, uh, not even a little, you know, this has come up so many times, I think in, in this time that everyone is, has a little time off of seeing people and playing together. I think people are being more reflective and also, um, it comes up all the time. Like we were even curriculum planning the other day and we were talking about, you know, what are some classes that, that students think are valuable? And one of the comments I had was, well, you wanna know. And then you also wanna realize like, what are all the classes you didn't think were valuable when you were 20 that turned out to be the one thing? You know, I, I started writing letters a few years ago to to teachers who I had thought like, I can't believe I have to go to this class. I really wanna practice. And then it turns out that that choir or that ear training class or that music history for whatever reason was the reason that I ended up in the next spot. And yeah. I never would have guessed that. There was no way at 20 I ever would have known. So that, I mean, I think that's so cool. And it's also kind of scary probably if you're listening to this in your 20. Yeah. Um, and those really has a lot of weight, those moments when you look back on them and go, wow, that didn't have to happen. That wasn't necessarily <laughs> destined. It, it is now because it happened, but didn't feel that way, you know? And, you know, back to students, I'm not sure you're supposed to know what you're doing. That's the point too. There's, there's, there's a reason for all of this stuff, I believe. You're not supposed to know exactly what you're gonna be doing. So you have to embrace that, you know? And, and again, flexibility, I would go anywhere. If there was work, I mean, it wasn't my dream to, to live in Las Vegas, but there was work there. There was a great gig. I went there. I didn't think I'd be in Boston in the winter ever in my life, you know, um, but I don't get coming for the weather. You know, I'm, I'm there's something in Boston, I'm moving to Boston, going, you know, because I didn't know what was going on. I need, I'm looking, I want something. I want, I wanted some history to write, you know, I, the opportunity. I don't want to say no, because that's not exactly what I was thinking would be perfect. You know, it's great to have goals. You know, that, that saying, the goals are great because they get you out of bed, they get you moving forward. But man, the, the, the things that actually turn into like career moments can be just out of the blue and, and in disguise, you know, not necessarily, look at this awesome thing that's just happened to me. It could be like, eh, I don't know, maybe should I do this or not? You, you know, it's it. funny. You know, I mean, power of yes, you've heard that, right? It's yeah, so like I, I've actually also done um, a bunch of theater stuff too. And it's one of these things that like, I would have never written that down for myself to be like, here's something I want to accomplish. Like, that's not like, like who picks up the guitar, you know, when you're 12 years old and you want to, you know, shred, you think, God, I really want to, I really want to play for musical theater. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, maybe there are yeah. some folks out there now that's cool, but like, it's something that's going to fall into your lap and then you go, wow, this is a lot of fun and it pays good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah, you take it and you, like you appreciate it and you're like, holy crap, there's a bunch of things out there that you can do that you don't even realize that are, um, you know, out there. And, you know, it's really interesting to hear you talk about a lot of the things that you did because, you know, I feel like, unfortunately, there are connotations about when people talk about the music industry. You know, like people say like, well, the music industry, the music industry, this, the music industry, that. And it's like, you know, it sounds like they're talking about like, uh, you know, Michael Jackson. You know, it sounds like they're talking about some 
famous person who's like a celebrity doing something. But in fact, there's all these people doing all of these things who you might not know who they are, but they're making it. They're great players. They're doing all kinds of cool things. They're having a residency at uh, Las Vegas. They're touring with, say, Paul Gilbert. They're coming up with things. They're working on new musical theater stuff, like all these things that you're doing. And it's like, people are really succeeding at it in places that like, you know, I don't often feel like is um, as highlighted when people sort of tend to say like the music industry, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not in the spotlight necessarily, but uh, there's, there's work to be had and music to be made. Uh, the world needs music, you know, that's never going to end. And you know, that whole thing about music industry, I love that too. It's just like, well, the well, the music business is really messed up right now. It really is. Uh, it's such a well. Let me uh, let me ask you: like, When was going into music like a short thing? When, when was when did that happen? Was that the seventies? I want to make a ton of money. I think I'm going to take guitar lessons. No one says that. You know, it was never a short sure thing. It was always like you did it because you loved it. You started playing, and then you just you know, the history writes itself. That's what most people get into. They just start and they never stop. You know, it's never a. a I sure think, you know, should I be, you know, a hedge fund manager or join a band? You know what I mean? It's like, uh, it's always been tricky, but that's, but that's what makes it great when you can, you know, get to that point and actually do something with it. There's nothing better in the world. Nothing. In my opinion, you know, it's, a, you know, and we're all lucky to be a part of it, to see people doing it, to do it ourselves. It's a really incredible way to go through this time we have uh, on this planet, you know, to, to do something that you love. Um, it's really kind of cool, you know. I'm not gonna get too deep into it, but it's like, yeah, we're we're all very very lucky, you know. And gratitude is also a great thing too. I'm not gonna get into it. This is getting into like Anthony Robbins stuff now, but it's like, but gratitude is the key, man. If you appreciate what you have, regardless of what it is, if you can appreciate it, boy, that's a big, that's a big load off your your mind, isn't it? You know, if you really value what you have, and that's it tends to come later in life for most people, I think, because they're always. And I was like that too, because I was, okay, this thing was great. Okay, I did it. I did a good job. What's the next thing? I got my next, you know, what's my next thing? That was cool. Now I look back and go, yeah, those were all cool things. You know, it was it was very lucky. Any one of those could have slipped away or went to someone else or not happened. Or it's just, so like, wow, boy, am I, am I the luckiest dude I know? I mean, everyone should feel that way. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like, boy, I just like, that was, that was cool. That was cool. Um, no regrets <laughs> of course no regrets no regrets you know that's great um and i was lucky i had supportive parents i just you know my brother's a doctor you know i have people in front of no one was in music in my family but my my parents were thrilled that i wanted to play guitar i'm not sure if i would be if my kid i don't have kids i just have a dog but i'm like really you want to be a guitar player i'm not sure how i would have that conversation but my parents were were maybe better people than I am, you know. It's like, um, so that helped. They they pushed me, and and uh, it was it was a nice thing. It worked out. That's great. That's fantastic, Cheryl. What is on your mind um, as we're kind of coming to the end of the coffee with all of those things, all of these things that have come up? Well, Scotty, thanks for coming by and sharing all that. There, you know, you I had questions that I was going to ask you, but you you covered them just about that. You know the experience of doing theater stuff and all the styles you do in reading, the process of reading. I think that was incredibly helpful to students to, to see 
that that it's a process but also i really appreciated um your comments about you know took to you were 28 that it is a process and you know, we've all been that student where you just want it right now but in retrospect you look back i mean when i'm talking to students and they say well you have to transcribe this solo like that's the best days of your life <laughs> <laughs> you know, really, when you have that time in the shed like that, to 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 really get deep into things like that, transcribing and learning and stuff. So it's always I know a lot of folks are going to get inspiration and also feel comforted on their path to hear your thoughts on that. You know that it's it's yeah. a process, a lifelong, and it's and it's an, an amazing process. It's as you said, it's one of the best things we could do spend our time on earth doing <laughs> yeah i mean if you ever look back and said boy i wish i hadn't spent all that time learning that solo i not me you know <laughs> you know you never know it's you, you will not regret putting that time in you know because it will pay you back tenfold especially if it's done consistently i mean it's just it has to um so it's it's time well spent that's right yeah ian what about you what what else is on your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot in there that, you know, current students can take, you know, and really feel, you know, re-energized to continue to find joy in the playing and, you know, why they're doing it, which is what we all need right now, right? And also the gratitude, you know, in such a difficult time to be like, well, actually, you know, as tough as it all is, like, you know, we're at Berkeley, you know, it's like one of the coolest places on the planet. Like you can do music, you can study the kind of music that you like, you know, and yeah. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, in this time, I think we're all thinking about what we're doing and what we want to be doing. And I'm wondering at the end here, Scotty, is there any advice that you have either for students who are listening and thinking about what their life might look like next year or for the three of us here with you in this hang about how we're thinking about the guitar department, you know, as we start to emerge from this year. You know, I think my thoughts right now are really about the renaissance that's about to happen. Mm. There's going to be a musical renaissance because we've kind of been in the dark ages for about a year now live music has been taken away right. uh, but not for long it's coming back and there is going to be it's going to come back stronger than what it was so hopefully everyone put their time to good use and it's preparing because there's going to be a need for musicians you know um festivals are going to be booked your favorite bands are going to come out with new records they're all going to go on tour there's going to be people looking for musicians now you know we're, we're on the cusp of a renaissance of music um i feel it in my bones and and you know uh i'm not ashamed to be overly optimistic I'll, I'll be that guy and if it doesn't happen you can come see me later and tell me i was wrong i'm fine with that but i see it coming you can't just unplug everything like that and then just oh it goes away oh no 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 when, when people are safe to go back to the theaters and the concerts it's going to be an explosion people have never needed it more so um students get ready to be working and playing get you know practice and and uh, uh there's going to be opportunities maybe more than when we than you know before this started um i believe that so uh, 
be optimistic, you know? And I think students are inherently optimistic, you know, they're maybe more so than older people. I don't know, not to overgeneralize, but that's, that's meant to be that way. You know, I mean, you're reaching for the stars, you're going for it. And the fact that you're here means you're, you're willing to take that chance and do it. So um, the rest is work. Don't, don't be afraid to work. You know, some, th there is some kind of a mantra where you think, well, this is, this is taking too long. It's too much work. And maybe it wasn't meant to be. And that's really dangerous. You know, the good things are always work time in. You have to, you have to put the effort in. Um, I'm not sure there are shortcuts. And if you love what you're doing, what's the problem? There is none. There is no problem. You're learning guitar. You're working on guitar. Yes. It's challenging sometimes. And some days you won't win. The guitar will kick your butt some days. You're welcome. Yeah. Good, good, good. You know, um, the, the future, there's going to be a lot of music in the future. It's coming. I mean, like the near future when mm -hmm. we get all this pandemic stuff squared away and we're close, we're close, we're close. Uh, it's already starting, you know, it's bubbling, you know, theaters are opening up. There's some things, you know, distance uh, performances. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a year. I don't know. I'm not going to put a time step on it, but like, I know like a year from now, things are going to be like really popping, but even before then too, I think, um, when it happens, when people are safe to go out and, and enjoy music again, there's going to be a lot of it, a lot of opportunities. That's what that translates into in my optimistic view. Okay. Well, I think if we know anything now, you know about hard work and you know about musicianship and you have good instincts. So I think everyone should listen and uh, take your advice and thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And this is a good one. This is one you're all going to want to listen to multiple times. So cheers, Scotty, coffee cheers. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Coffee cheers yeah. to Cheryl and Ian and to you listening. We'll see you next time and we'll hear you next time on Coffee Talk. Mm -hmm.